Okay, so we're in 1 Timothy right now. The series is 1 and 2 Timothy. Uh, so this is going to take us a little while to get through it. We're going to be uh, hanging out here at least until the, the spring. Um, we will take a break uh, for Christmas and December, but uh, we're going to get through not quite all of 1 Timothy before the break. We'll get, we'll get to about chapter 5, I think, uh, by that point. But, but we're going to um, just take a slow walk through these two letters. And these letters were written for a specific reason. They were written, obviously, to a guy named Timothy. That's, that's clear from why we call them First and Second Timothy. Um, but they were written by the Apostle Paul uh, to help this guy who we know from First Timothy was a younger guy, a younger leader, um, who was given a responsibility to do some really hard things uh, in the church in Ephesus, uh, which had lost its way and had become a really a Jesus plus something else kind of church, which is never a good thing. Uh, to, to add things onto the gospel or to forget the gospel of what Christ has done for us. And basically Ephesus had moved away very hard and fast from the truth of Jesus in this. And so Paul sends Timothy there to basically correct it, bring it back into the way it needs to be. And chapter one, we've just finished chapter one. So that whole chapter is just setting up kind of the foundation and framework for what is the problem. And the problem is that they've left the gospel behind and they've started teaching things in this church that are not aligned with the truth of God's word or of the apostles' teaching. So, so that's where Paul's getting to. And uh, he's calling Timothy to do this. And chapter two, though, starts the transition into, okay, here's how this actually should look, right? We've basically been spending the first month in just kind of the negative side of the issue, like what's the problem? We have to do that. We need to establish that. But now we get to start getting to the solutions. And, and Paul is going to walk us through over the next four or five chapters of the rest of this letter in that issue. Um, and we're going to see the different markers or indicators of a healthy, Jesus-centered church. And I'm excited to, to do that. So we're going to start in chapter 2, verse 1 to 7 today. We'll break up chapter 2 into just a couple sermons. There's too much to talk about all at once. Um, but we'll, we'll talk about the first seven uh, verses today. Okay, so let's get into it. We'll, we'll just start because I think it becomes clear what Paul's going to take us to in the first verse. He says, first of all then, so here's the, here's the first thing that he wants the church to reorient towards and, and start to do and start to implement. He says, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Okay, so this is really good, right? And probably one of these things that we should know uh, but maybe don't or need to be reminded of is that a church that is not a praying church is not a gospel-centered church, okay? That's the key, right? That He says, I'm, I'm telling you, you got to get to this place where you are uh, praying. And he, he lays out like four different types of prayer, uses four different words to describe prayer. All of it's prayer, but there's just different forms and different ways in which that takes shape. So he says supplications. Well, supplications is a fancy word for asking God for things. 
Okay, it doesn't need to be more complicated than that. When we ask God to do something, we are supplicating. And I don't know why we say it that way. That's a weird word. But we're just asking God for his help, for him to show up, for him to do something. And of course, we all intuitively understand this uh, as we pray, right? This is why we go to God in prayer. Most of the time, it's, God, would you do this thing in my life? Would you help meet this need or help accomplish this, right? That's a very common and typical way we pray, and we should. Paul tells us we should pray with supplications. Then secondly, he says prayers. I mean, so there's, I think that makes sense, right? We don't need to even talk about that. Prayers, okay. And then intercessions. Intercessions is, a, is another form of prayer that we are praying for others, so it's a fancy way of saying you're praying for someone else's needs and someone else's concerns. Prayer, I think supplication and all of this is so interconnected, right? But supplication, I think, focuses predominantly on your needs and what's going on in your life. It's good to pray for those things. Intercession is going on behalf of someone else before the Lord to pray for them and to help them. And that's a, that's a vital part of prayer. We should be praying for each other as well as for ourselves. And then the, the fourth thing on this list is thanksgivings. And again, I don't think that this needs to be too defined, right? It's exactly what it is. We're, we're giving thanks to God for a number of things. Really, for everything, we're to give thanks. That's what the Bible says, right? In everything, give thanks. But we are to thank God for the ways he's answered our prayers. We're to give thanks for, the, for who God is. And honestly, in fact, we should be praying in thanks to God for the things he doesn't answer for us too because the truth is we uh, don't know what we need. We can ask for what we think we need, but we don't know what we need. What we need is for God to do something in our lives that we uh, that we may not even realize. And so even when God doesn't answer prayer, that's something we should thank him for because it gets us to a place of realizing that he loves us more than we can know and and he keeps us from things that are not good for us or not within his will. And that's, that's one of those growth areas in the Christian life is realizing that prayer um, is not just like, calling out some genie in a bottle to come and do something that you want and have your wishes granted. It's about going, going to the Father in a real relationship through the Son, by the Spirit, coming to this God who loves us and asking him, yes, but then accepting and receiving that which he gives us even when what he gives us is not what we ask for. Because we don't always know what's best for us. In fact, I would argue that we almost never know what's best for us. Um, but, but nonetheless, it does, it's not wrong to ask for what you feel you should ask for, but just do that with an open hand, right? We do that with an open hand going, God, whatever it is you really want. And we see that modeled in Jesus's life, right? Jesus prayed as he was preparing to go just hours before the crucifixion. He's in the garden of Gethsemane. He's praying and he's asking God to remove the cup of, this, of his wrath away from us. Remove this from me. Basically, he's saying, God, if there's any other way we can get your people back without me being crucified, let's do it that way. And of course, there was no other way. And Jesus knew that, but still he prayed for that. It's kind of interesting. And then Jesus concludes that prayer by saying, but not my will, but your will be done. So we ought to go, go to God with that same heart that's modeled in Jesus. So, so the, a, a praying church 
is vital to be a gospel-centered church. And we're going to unpack why that is, because Paul actually takes us through an argument, essentially, or, or a, kind of a rationale, maybe is a better way to say it, for why this is the case. But we got some instruction yet to listen to first. So, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. For all people. Um, now, you could really split hairs on what he means by all. Um, you know, does he mean that we should literally be praying all the time for every set person on the seven billion person planet? Um, probably not what Paul's talking about there, right? I think he's talking about all kinds of people. And I think that's clear from the context in the next verse, which we'll look at in a second. But I think this is just fundamentally what he's saying is we should be praying for the people in our lives. We should be praying for the people in our church. We should be praying for the people in our neighborhoods and for uh, the people that we interact with. But there's also a specific kind of people, two kinds of people that Paul tells us we should pray for. And this is really, I mean, I just find it really interesting because I don't, you don't see this a whole lot in Paul's other letters, but, but he tells us who we should be praying for in verse two. Take a look at this. For kings and all who are in high positions. So Paul says, pray for all kinds of people and specifically for these kinds of people, kings and those in high positions. Now, Understand Paul wrote in a context that's different than ours. 2,000 years ago, they didn't have presidents. They didn't have a democratically elected uh, leadership, right? All this stuff. We get that. But, but the principle is clear. He's telling us to pray for those in leadership, for those who lead us. Why? I, I was thinking about this this morning. and just, you know, I'm working through it, but kind of working through it again, going... Like, why, why is Paul specifically going there? Like, of all the things he could tell us to pray for and all the people he could bring into our viewpoint, why does he bring kings and those in high positions in front of us? And I don't know if I have the exact answer, but my, in, my inclination is that it's because that's the group of people that we're least likely to want to pray for. Right? Like, this is not a group. Like, we have no problem for the most part. I'm generalizing here, but I don't think most of us have a problem praying for people that we know and love. Your family, you probably pray for your family quite a lot. You, you probably pray for your friends quite a lot. You may even pray for your coworkers quite a lot. The people that are in your orbit that are really like in front of you, I don't think we struggle. Maybe you do just in general struggle with prayer, but, but I think if you were to be a praying person, I don't think you would struggle with praying for the obvious people in your life. But what he tells us is that we should be praying not just for all, we should be praying for them, right? All people, right? But specifically the kind of people that we may be most resistant to pray for, which is the kings and people in high positions. Um, I think a lot of times we just want to be kind of hard on these people because they can make our lives difficult. Uh, or we disagree with them vehemently on policy issues or whatever. And so we, I think Paul is calling us to have a heart change towards people in authority. And he's calling on us specifically to pray for these people. Now understand that the people Paul's writing to originally were under an emperor. Probably by this point in history, it was Nero, 
a psychotic man. And, um, and this is like probably the last person that they would in the, in the universe think to pray for. But here he's calling them to it. But, but notice where he goes from there because in the middle of verse 2, he tells us why we should pray for these people. It, it's this, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Verse 3 says, this is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. So, so Paul's giving us a specific reason why we should pray for leaders, people in authority, people in government, people who are over this. It's, it's not so that we can just have the people we want in charge, but it's so that we can live a quiet and peaceful life. That's godly and dignified in every way. Basically, what Paul's saying is, is, listen, your goal in life, my goal in life, is to be a nobody who loves Jesus. That's all we're here to do. Be a nobody, love Jesus, care about the people around you. But, but the reality is that the people who are in charge are often uh, responsible for whether that peace and quiet is possible, right? Um, that's a reality. And this, we got to understand the people Paul's writing to are under persecution for their faith. This is not a thing where it's like we talk about persecution a lot here, but we're not anywhere close to what the early church dealt with. We're not even remotely close to what people in other parts of our world today are dealing with. Let's put some perspective on that. But nonetheless, we should continue to pray for other nations that are persecuting Christians and for our own nation so that we don't get to that place. Of course, we should pray for all of that because God's intention for us is to just be a bunch of nobodies who love Jesus and are about the gospel. And, if, and, and it's really hard to do that and live a peaceful, quiet life if our, if our leaders are um, leading us into chaos and, and just, yeah. So we're, we're meant to pray for them for that purpose. That's interesting. I think that's really interesting. And I, I think um, we need to just understand that it's, it's not about policy in, at the end of the day, and it's really not about political affiliation, but it is about going to the one, the only one who can truly turn things and asking him and appealing him, to him to do something for us that we can't do for ourselves. And that is to help us to live a quiet life and if that means that God has to turn a king or a person in high position towards that end, we should ask him to do that. Because it's good and it's pleasing in the sight of God, our, our Savior. Now, in verse 4, we're going to see a second category of people that we should pray for. First, our leaders. But look at verse 4. So it says, God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So there's a second category of people we are called to pray for here. We're called to pray for our leaders and we're called to pray for the lost. We're called to pray for the salvation of all people, particularly the people that we know and have a relationship with. I think that takes precedence. Um, but but nonetheless, we should be praying for all kinds of people to be saved because God desires for all kinds of people to be brought into uh, salvation. And that includes leaders even. 
Um, and, and I mean, that's, that takes some bold faith to pray for Nero to become a Christian, right? I mean, <laughs> that took some bold faith. Now, God doesn't appear to have answered that uh, prayer, but, but we don't know what God does, right? We, we just don't. And so we're, we're called to pray and then leave the results of salvation to God because God is in control of those things, ultimately to, to turn hearts towards him. Our job is not to try to, you know, split straws and try to figure out who's in, who's out, or any of that nonsense. Our job is to simply pray, knowing the character of, and heart of God is to see lost people saved and found, who desires all people to come to a knowledge of the truth. That is God's heart for people. And so our heart for people should be in line with his heart by praying for the salvation of those who don't know him. And so that, that has broad application, right? We can, anyone who does not know Jesus needs to be prayed for. And anyone you know personally who is not in a saving relationship with Christ, you should commit to pray for them because you never know what Jesus may do in their lives. And I think that the truth, well, the truth of the matter is, is that most people who become Christians are Christians because someone prayed that they would get there. Over and over again, we see it in history and in our own lives. And you know that's true too in your own life. People should pray. Parents should be praying for their children to come to faith in Christ. Grandparents should be praying for their children and grandchildren. We should all be praying for open doors for conversations because at the end of the day, salvation comes by hearing and hearing comes through the word of Christ. So to pray that God would just by osmosis, save somebody from their sin without actually having someone tell them about Jesus is a, is a pipe dream. That's just not how God does it. So what we should be praying for is for God to open up opportunities for us to share the gospel and, and actually bring the knowledge of Jesus Christ to someone's life and actually through prayer, in prayer, going into those conversations with the people that we know and love and work with and live next to and all the things that, that we know we should be doing. We should be going with a prayerful heart into those relationships to, to ask God to open up doors for the gospel to be spoken and experienced by people because that's how people come to faith. So we are to pray for that. And actually, guys, here's a plug for men's Bible study because that's what we're going to be talking about. How do we reach people with Jesus that's going to be the focus of the fall here. So come and, and learn from our, our great and wise man, Ray Churchill, who's just going to pair it from a book that he read. And then, and we're going <laughs> but it's going to be great. Like, it's going to be really helpful. And I think that's for, for those of you who that applies to. But okay, all of us, though, ought to be praying for these things, right? We ought to pray that God opens doors. So two things, right? All people specifically leaders and specifically the lost, Paul says we should be praying for them. Now here's the next logical question. It's like, okay, fine, but why? Why pray for these people? Like what is the motivation for this? What is the, are we just like throwing wishes out into the sky fairy and hoping that something comes back? No, he's going to tell us why we should pray. Look at verse 5. So it starts with this word, for. You could translate that word, because. So all the things that Paul has just said comes to a logical conclusion here. 
Here's why we pray for leaders. Here's why we pray for the lost. Here's why we bring all people to the Lord in prayer. Because there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So the answer to the question, why do we pray? Why do we bring people before the Lord in prayer? It's because there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. The answer to that question is because we actually have a God in heaven who is alive and well and powerful and sovereign and can actually do what we need him to do and he longs to do those things through our prayers. He wants to do these things through our prayers. God is sovereign over the end result and he's also sovereign over the way in which the end result comes about. So if the end result comes about through prayer, God's still sovereign over that, but he is, he is working in and through prayer to get, a, to get about his accomplishments in the world. But here's the thing, there is one God and if we know Jesus, we know this one God. And Paul is obviously speaking this into a very crazy culture of the Roman Empire where there was a, if you've ever studied Greek mythology, right? There's hundreds of gods. There's tons of gods. And all the gods just do different things. And none of them are really truly powerful, ultimately. They all are fighting each other all the time. And all this mythology and craziness. That was the world in which Paul lived and ministered to a they call it a polytheistic world where many, many gods existed. And the emperor, in this case Nero, uh, would have been seen as the mediator between the people and the gods. And so what, G- what Paul is doing is he's basically dismantling the bad theology of the, of the culture by saying, listen, we have access to the true God, the only God who really exists. All these other make-believe gods, they're not real, but we have a, one God. And then this nonsense about the emperor needing to stand between us and the, and the gods is ridiculous because we have one mediator who can stand between us and God, and his name is Jesus Christ. And so we have... This going on where Paul is laying the foundation for gospel-centered prayer. Gospel-centered prayer is where we see Jesus and his work for us on the cross. This this God-man who gave himself, verse 6, right? Gave himself as a ransom for all. He laid down his life to bring us into salvation. He is alive through the resurrection. He is ruling and reigning in, the, in heaven now. And he intercedes and mediates between us and the Father so that when we go to Jesus in prayer, it is getting to the right source of power and strength. And so we have a gospel-centered approach to prayer where we pray in Jesus, through him, by the power of the Spirit, we, we see all of this coming together by, by God's design. And so we have one God and one mediator, Jesus Christ. Now, that also speaks to this. If we have one mediator between us and the Father, here's what that means. You don't need anybody else to stand in between. You don't need a pastor or a priest to go to God for you. You don't need to pray to a saint or something like that. You just don't need to do that. 
The Bible says there's one mediator, one person who can bridge that gap between us and God and is the man Christ Jesus. And so we have a direct line, a direct access point to the Father because we have a relationship with him through Jesus. And so if that's the case, we can be confident knowing that our prayers are heard and our prayers are being received by the one and only God who can truly do what we need him to do. It's not wishful thinking. It's not just throwing thoughts up into, no, into nothingness. It is actually going to a person who can accomplish for us what we could never do ourselves. This is why Paul says we, we can pray because we have a God in heaven who actually hears us and accomplishes it. Verse 7, we'll quickly read this. Paul says, for, for this, for the preaching of the gospel he's talking about, I was appointed as a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. I'm a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. All right, so Paul's just giving a little bit of background about himself. He's like, this is the reason I'm, I'm doing the ministry I'm called to do. It's to preach the gospel, to talk about this Jesus. But as we get into this, as we, as we uh, conclude this, I should say, we, we need to see that where Paul is taking us is vital. That if a church is going to be a healthy church, if a church is going to be a gospel-centered church, it, it has to happen through God himself doing something for us that we cannot do ourselves. It is through, through God providing us with a peaceful and quiet life. It is through God bringing people to salvation and growing the church. It is through God accomplishing for us what we could never do on our own. And so we have to be people that go to him and ask him for help. And there's all kinds of ways we can do this, of course. There's no single way that the Bible prescribes for us to be a praying church. Obviously, praying on an individual basis is important. You and I are called to pray without ceasing. And that doesn't mean like literally every second of every day, but it means to pray continually, regularly throughout the day. That's a, that's a growth thing that happens in us as we grow in Christ. We are called to cast all our cares on him because he cares for us. We are called to pray for the Lord to do amazing things. Um, we're also called to do that as a church collectively, right? And, and we don't do this a whole lot in a formal way, but um, it's something that perhaps we'll, we'll grow in and, and continue to mature in. But listen, there is a, Bible, there is a, a, sorry, a group that meets downstairs every, mo- every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. So if you're interested in jumping into this and praying more intentionally, I'll make a plug for this because it's a good thing. group of people meet down there every Sunday, 9 o'clock to 10-ish or so, maybe a little before, and, and, and they come together to pray. They pray for each other. They pray for the church. That's a good thing. If that's something you can fit into your life and schedule, come a little early on Sunday, that's a great opportunity. Um, We're looking at some other things as well to try to incorporate more of this. Of course, we always have room to grow. But the point is, is that we have to have confidence in who Jesus is and what he's done. And if we understand what he's done to save us and how he literally made an an impossibility possible by mediating and bridging the gap between sinners and a holy God. 
then we should have confidence that the Lord Jesus will meet us in our cares and concerns, that he will hear us and that he will respond. And he will respond in ways that will probably surprise us and shock us. But he will respond. He will do amazing things if we come to him. And so that's where we need to be. It's an area to grow in. It's an area to mature in, of course. All of us, if I, if I took a poll of the whole room and said, how's your prayer life? All of you would say you need to grow in your prayer life. I do too. We all do. But I think we will grow in our prayer life as we continue to dive more deeply into the person of Jesus and what he's done and how he's accomplished salvation for us. I think that will change all of us as we continue to dive deeply into it. That's why Jesus, excuse me, that's why Paul connects Jesus to this, this prayer thing. That's why the logic is there, right? He's not just saying pray for the sake of praying. He's saying pray for the lost and for the leaders because Jesus is your savior. That's the connection. And if we understand Jesus to be our savior, we'll grow in prayer. And we can take some steps to do that as I've laid out. But, but let's go ahead and just... At this point, I'll pray for us and we'll just quiet our hearts before the Lord and uh, prepare for the next um, kind of s- stage of our service today. Um, Father in heaven, we just want to stop for a few moments and, and give you praise and thanks for what you've done uh, for us in Jesus, first and foremost. How you were the mediator between us and God, how you, Jesus, died on the cross as a ransom for sinners to pay for our uh, failures, to pay for our, our um, flaws, to, to pay for our re- rebellion. And that through that, you've brought us back to the Father. And so, Jesus, we thank you for that. We also thank you for what you're doing in this church, how you've, how you've built this into what you want it to be. And we know we have room to grow. We always have room to grow. We confess the ways we've fallen short, but we know that you are here to love us and carry us and bring us to you. And Father, I just pray that the, that the spirit of our hearts would be drawn in more deeply to, into confidence into who you are so that we would be more confident to be prayers, to be, to be lifting things to you and, and to bringing them knowing that only you can accomplish what we can't. And so, Father in heaven, we, we ask you for these things. We ask you just to continue to meet us where we are and, and spur us on further. And we ask that you would do this in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.